We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. It is so good. The sun is shining. God's people are together. We're worshiping. Um, I encouraged Mike. I, I love when we carve out time, when we take time, when we prioritize time to hear from the people of God, right? To say, what is God doing in our lives? It is so encouraging uh, and it keeps us going on. And so uh, thank you uh, again, church, for allowing me to come and to bring God's word to you this morning. And quite Honestly, I was relieved when Mike said, is it okay if I just go ahead and read the passage this morning? And I said, yes, please, because it's the greatest tongue twister in scripture ever, right? Um, so I was like, yeah, that's totally fine. That's one less thing that I have to stumble through. So, But uh, again, it is so good to be with you guys. Um, as we jump into God's word this morning, I have to confess, um, I have... I have preached many times, but I have yet to wrestle with a passage like this one. Uh, the weightiness of what Christ wants to do in us, wants to do through us, and wants to say to us this morning, whether you are far from the Lord and you're like, what is this whole church thing? Why are we singing? Uh, or whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, Jesus wants to speak to us today. And his gospel is for you, and it's for me. Um, and I even get emotional. I haven't even started yet. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I feel, I feel um, that his spirit is here with us this morning, and uh, he wants to do a work. So before we jump in, let's do a quick re review. So Pastor Mike, last week, gave us uh, a title, kids, for those of you that are in here, does anybody re remember what the unique title was? Yeah. The Mule and the Raccoon, okay? The Mule and the Raccoon. So just to summarize, you and I are like the mule, and we are like the ra raccoon, right? We're like the mule in the fact that we are stubborn, right? Whatever the master says, we want to do the opposite thing. We want to do what we want to do. We are like the mule and like the raccoon. I learned a lot. I'm not a hunter, okay, but now I know how to trap a raccoon, right? Mike talked talk, talked about like the wood and the boards and, and you create it just enough that the raccoon can put his tiny little paw in there because he sees that shiny object that he wants, right? But he can't actually pull it back out because in order to do so, he would have to what? He would have to let go, right? He would have to let go of that, of that, of that temptation or whatever he wants. And like the raccoon, we sometimes can't let go of our own desires and we get trapped and we get caught. And the reality is that we too need to learn to let go. 
So, uh, in chapter 7 this morning, the passage that we just read, Paul, he doubles down on the theme of our uh, sinful nature, almost in a lament. Paul is crying out, articulating the struggle that he, as a believer, let me be clear on this, that he, as a follower of Jesus, deals with the struggle of the flesh and the sin every day. So two timeless truths as we get going this morning. The first one is this. They're going to be up here on on the screen. Uh, Two timeless truths. The first one is Christians in earthly broken vessels. We will continue to battle the flesh in our own sinful desires. Timeless truth too. Our victory, however, for daily living is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Let me pray for us again. Jesus, we love you. And God, I pray for every one of us here and I pray for myself. And as we um, look at your word, Lord, I, I pray that we would truly wrestle with the reality, not just that we continue to sin because we are not yet with you, we continue because we are still here, but yet, Lord, you provide the victory each and every moment of every day. And I pray that we wouldn't just be reminded of that, but we would be victorious and we would go from here and walk in your spirit. So we give you the, this this time, and it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's quickly go back to Romans 6, okay, real fast, to a recap of where we, we have been. And I know we're kind of like, let's go back, let's go, we'll go, we'll go back. But it's so important that we remind ourselves of foundational truths from chapter 6, okay? Paul says, as believers saved and redeemed, our position is in who? Christ, right? Our possession, when we turn from sin, when we repent and we put our faith and trust in Him, right? He gives us His Holy Spirit. We are redeemed. We are saved. We are sanctified. That is our position in Him, okay? Uh, Paul says this, chapter 6, verse 4, we have been buried with Him in His death and have been raised to life so that we may walk in the newness of of life. Galatians 2, Paul says this, for I have been crucified with him and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. So we have learned in the last few weeks that the old man is dead, right? As Christians, we are to walk in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit each And every day. But it is so clear here. Verses 14 through 25. As a believer, Paul says, look, we are not yet with Christ. Right? We still live here. And so we still struggle. We still deal with the flesh. We still deal with sin. So the title this morning, you're going to resonate with this. The title is The Fox and the Badger. No, I'm just kidding. kidding, kidding, kidding. (laughs) I had to, Mike. I'm so sorry. Although I will say, like, 
30 people this week, maybe that's exaggeration, said, that was a tough text, but the mule and the raccoon, I got it, you know? So I was like, I got to come up with two animals here, but the struggle is real. The struggle is real is the name of our sermon this morning, and there are four points. There are four point, points that I, I want to talk, talk through. The first one here, the flesh fails. Point two, the enemy within. Point three, desire for deliverance. And then we will conclude with thanksgiving and victory is in Jesus. So let's jump right in. Point number one, the flesh fails. Notice with me verse 14. We started out with, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am, uh, I am of the flesh. Some translations say, I am carnal. The Greek word here is sarkos, which means flesh. So important, okay, that we know that spiritually speaking here, the Bible talks about three kinds of people, okay? Someone who is saved, someone who is a Christian, who has given their life to Jesus, who has turned from sin. They are redeemed. They are sanctified. They are in Him. The second person is someone who is lost, who is unsaved, who is far from God, who has never yet come to that place of giving their life to Jesus. And the third person Scripture talks about is what we call a carnal Christian. Someone who has given their life to Jesus. Okay, but when it comes to their daily walk or the patterns that they experience and struggle with, they do not walk in the spirit, they walk in the flesh. It's a walk of failure and it's a walk of defeat and it's a walk of frustration. And as we get more into this passage this morning, as a Christian, Okay? And hear me this morning, as a Christian, if you are here and you walk with the Lord, it is absolutely possible for our flesh and the temptations and the worries of this world to slow the process of sanctification and the work that Christ wants to do in our lives. I was reminded of a simple phrase. Actually, my mom was the one. This phrase that says, now, but not yet. Can you say, say that? Now, but not yet. Right? Now, if you know the Lord, you are with Him. You are positioned in Him. You are sanctified. But we are not yet with Him. And so because we are in the flesh, and you're going to hear me say this a number of times this morning, we still struggle with sin. Paul recognizes this in verse 14 and 15, this ongoing struggle with sin. One pastor says, in temporary defeat, sin simply gets the upper hand. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, and it's interesting here, and I'm going to hop through a few passages this morning. This wasn't just to the church in Rome. Okay, uh, literally a thread through every epistle that Paul wrote. He talked about the struggle with sin. Galatians 5 verse 17 says, For the desires of the flesh 
are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Sound familiar, right? So Paul continually refers to this clash between our old self, okay, before we knew Christ, and our new man, who we are now, if you've turned to faith in Him. The carnal or the flesh and the spiritual have conflicting interests and purposes, right? They do not agree. They wage war against one another. Practically speaking, I'm thinking like a boxing match, right? Our new man, who we are in Jesus, loves the law, right? Paul says this a number of times. I love the law. And I desire to bring glory to God in all that I do, right? That is the new man. That is who we are in in, in him. And yet our old man, our own flesh, right? It creeps up and it says, no, no, no. You need to stay bitter. You need to remain angry. Why don't you just stay in bed? Shove it down. Make life all about you. Right? The old ugliness creeps up. How else does Paul describe this? Look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. He says this, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. For the believer, it's a battle between the mind and our members, right? Paul says this. He says, basically, in my mind, I know what the Lord's will is. I know cognitively what he wants me me to do. But my members, literally, my hands and my feet and my flesh, my hands do what they're not supposed to do. My feet sometimes take me where they're not supposed to take me. So I I thought of this illustration uh, of uh, basketball. So I've played basketball my whole life. And the other day I was with Peyton at the Y, and we were shooting around, and um, he had some friends there. And I'm almost 40, just a few months away. Uh, 40 is the new 20, but anyway. um, we, we, We were there, and in my mind... I think I still got it, right? In my mind, I'm like, yeah, let's go, you know? And uh, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, these kids, they have no idea what's coming. You know, it's going to be great. And so I'm there, and I'm kind of going like, yeah, in my mind, I'm going, this is how it's supposed to look, right? This is what I'm supposed to do, but my knees have another plan, right? It's kind of like, you're not doing what you want to do, right? And I'm going, no, and... Uh, you know, about a half an hour, I'm kind of hop, hop, hobbling over like I am not who I used to be, right? But in our minds, right? In my mind, I knew this is how it's supposed to look, right? I'm supposed to cross this kid up and like dunk on you, the whole thing. And my body is saying, there is no way you are doing that again, right? So notice also the way Paul describes sin. Look at verse 17. 18 and 23. We're not going to read those again, but it's really interesting. Paul talks about this phrase, indwelling sin, 
or the sin that dwells within me. Okay? Catch that. Don't overlook that word. It's a very specific word. Why does Paul use that dwelling sin or indwelling sin? Uh, commentators kind of all different opinions and thoughts as to really the heart of what Paul is saying, saying here. But, but I believe this idea of indwelling sin, church, isn't just some spiritual uh, vapor or mist or transient thought that passes through the mind and the heart of Paul. Right? This indwelling sin, Paul calls it indwelling. This is sin that has set up camp. This is sin that has gotten a little too comfortable. It's perhaps a, a frequent flyer in the heart of the mind of Paul. Right? This is a sin that he consistently comes back to or struggles with. Some might call it a habitual sin, right? Question for you this morning. Question for me this morning. What about you? As a believer, are there sins that you have allowed to take residence in your heart and in your mind? Have they taken root? Have they set up camp? Have you entertained them for far too long? We must recognize that the only way, the only way to dethrone indwelling sin in our hearts and our minds is through the blood of Jesus and his resurrection power within us. It is surrender to the lordship of Jesus once again, day by day. That was the question, right? Here is a warning. When it comes to indwelling sin, we all must also be very careful that we don't pass the buck on sin. That we don't pass the buck on sin. Well, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just the old man creeping up, you know. <laughs> you know, I just oh man, you know, or like, well, the apostle Paul, I mean, the greatest Christian to ever live, I mean, he dealt with, with it, so is it really that big of a deal? Right? We can sometimes excuse sin away. Well, this was the same Apostle Paul that said, should we sin so that grace may abound? And the answer was, church, the answer was, no, by no means. Right? We are responsible for our actions. Paul here is tracking down the source of of his sinful behavior, not excusing it. Not excusing it. We have to be so careful. Through confession, through keeping short of counts, we do not allow sin to take its place in our hearts and minds. Talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. Point number two. The enemy within. Of course, we're talking about our flesh. Look with me again at verse 17 and 18. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. 
For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. All right, so who's familiar? Raise your hand if you're familiar. Uh, Some of you might have to go, ooh, do I raise my hand or not? But we're familiar with any kind of self-help book or audio tape. Any of us at any time have ever used that or like, maybe I should try, try, try this out. A few, a few, a few of you. Okay, we're at least familiar with the con- concept. Mainly, I am familiar with it because of movies, TV. You'll see somebody dry, uh, driving, and they'll pop in the cassette because you don't know what that is. And they're driving along, and it's like, you can do it today. <laughs> You're the best. You have what it takes, right? And it's always like this really weird voice, kind of like, Semi-creepy, but anyway, we're familiar with this whole like self-help. And I tell you what, I haven't been in a Barnes & Noble at least in over a year, okay, because, yeah. Um, but the last time I was in a Barnes & Noble, I remember there was an entire section, self-help. And I'm like, oh my, right? But we're, we're so familiar with this, like, what do I need to do to, to, to just muster up everything within me, Right? Back in the 90s, uh, Saturday Night Live had a segment. It was kind of like a commercial, like, skit type thing. And it was called Daily Affirmation. Does anybody remember this? It was this really odd character named Stuart Smalley, okay? And he wore this, like, sweater vest, and he had this weird comb over. And literally, the, the whole segment was nothing but him looking in this mirror and saying niceties to himself, right? And the tagline, the most famous line of this whole little skit show thing was, he would look in the mirror and he'd be like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. (laughs) Does anybody remember this or is it just me? Some of you are like, I'm not gonna, Saturday Night Live, yeah, come on, seriously, seriously. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, right? It's humorous, right? And we laugh at that, but how many people truly feel that that's what they must do to succeed? How many believers, followers of Christ, turn to self-help, turn to this, all I got to do is muster up enough to please God, to defeat the flesh. I just need to be more spiritual. That's what I need to do. Or I just need to pray more, right? That's the answer to to it all. I just need to work harder at being a Christian. I can do this. Exteriorly, we can do all of the right things, right? In the flesh. But church, God sees the heart. Right? He sees our heart. He's not impressed by our actions, by the things that we try to do in the flesh. He sees our heart. What, what does Paul say again in verse 18? In my flesh there is what? No. There is no good. Okay. It's right here. This is not a trick question. 
Look at the word with, with me. Everybody put their face, face down. Look at the word. Verse 18. Paul says there is no good bingo. There is no good thing. Okay. Paul recognizes, right, that the flesh itself cannot produce righteousness. The flesh itself cannot produce righteousness. Living in the flesh, we cannot please God. Once again, it is only through surrendering to the power, the authority of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and allowing Him to fight for us. Allowing Him to fight for us. His letter to the church of Philippi, Paul continues this truth about the process of sanctification, right? Of looking more like Jesus. It's going to be up here on the screen. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider what I have made it my, my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. Paul believes that he has not already obtained perfection, or he has made it his own. He was a man in need of Christ's power continually. And because of Christ's finished work on the cross, and the confidence that Paul had in that finished work, Paul says to the Philippians that I am able to press on towards the prize the prize of knowing Christ and the prize of holiness and righteousness. The reason why Paul says, I have not yet obtained, right, is because I'm still here. We're still here. I'm still in this mortal flesh. Point number three. Desire for deliverance. Look at verse 24 with, it, with me. Paul talks about indwelling sin, this struggle to do what I know is right, but I can't carry it out. I can't do it in my own flesh and in my own strength. I delight in the law, but my members, right? have something else in mind. And then we get to verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Let me just pause there for just a minute. What a cry, what a, a lament. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I, just a few things here, and this is, I mean, this is kind of, this verse <laughs> is kind of a sermon within itself, so if you just 
allow me to just share a few, a few things. The fir- first one is this. It's so important that we see here that the reason that Paul is able in humility to call himself wretched. It's not a word that we use a lot, right? Outcast, desperate, sad. (laughs) The list goes on and on and on. Needy, depraved. The reason in humility Paul can call himself this is because he has experienced the pure holiness and righteousness of God. Paul knows who he is apart from the saving rescue of Jesus. We can't understand the beauty and the holiness of God, church, until we come to grips with the ugliness of our own sin. Paul uses this phrase, rescue me from this body of death. Uh, And when I was researching and reading for weeks, I came across uh, historically this gruesome, this gruesome account. Uh, So centuries ago, some Roman emperors were known to inflict a hideous punishment of someone who murdered someone else, okay? They would bind the corpse of the victim to the back of the murderer. And under penalty of death, no one was allowed to remove the corpse from the condemned person. So let me just rephrase that, okay? Because I, I, I want us to get this this morning. Historical accounts where if you murdered somebody, they would literally, punishment would take the dead person and wrist to wrist, ankle to ankle. Your punishment would be to carry around this, this corpse. And many accounts say that it would actually lead to that person's death because of the poisonous, rotting flesh that would begin to seep in. The living criminal would literally die a slow death from the rotting poisons of the dead man. Can you imagine the weight The smell, the feeling, the disgust of a rotting corpse attached to your back. And yet, Paul had seen this. Uh, As we read in the historical accounts, the city of Tarsus, where he was from, they were known to do this. This was a common thing. But that is what Paul compares his struggle with the flesh with. Who will rescue me from this rotting corpse? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Church, we got to get this. And notice the question, who will deliver me? Who 
will deliver me. Why does Paul ask this? Is it because he doesn't know who? Does Paul ask this because he's just kind of like, somebody out, 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 out there. Will somebody rescue me? Does he ask this because he actually doesn't know? No. I don't think so. Paul is confessing that he cannot do it. He cannot do it. In and of himself, he can't save himself. He can't rid himself of this of this body. In fact, as you look interesting here, verses 9 through 25, the pronouns that Paul uses in this text. 40 times in verses 9 through 25, Paul uses the pronouns I, me, myself, For this, Paul, this is a, a lament stating that in and of himself, he cannot do it. He's trying, he's trying, he's trying, but he comes to the place of saying, I cannot do it. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. One commentator says, says that, that, that as in his confession, instead of improving the flesh, Paul must relegate it to the grave of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, I'm going to read something else here from him in just a second. But Charles Spurgeon, the great theologian, says this, this warfare and this occasional triumph of the flesh makes us look to Christ for victory. And that leads us to our final point this morning. Point number four. Thanksgiving and victory in Jesus. Hallelujah. Look, look, look with me at verse 25. Oh, wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, this confession, this cry? And Paul immediately says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The key to living in victory is found in Jesus' finished work in living in the power of His Spirit each and every day. He saves us. He continues His work of sanctification in our hearts and in our minds. And church, this sanctifying work will continue until we see Him face to face. More on that in chapter 8. I want to conclude our time this morning with a sermon excerpt. It's a fun word. Excerpt. From Charles Spurgeon. I believe this was written in the 1840s. He titled the sermon, and I, I told Mike, Mike this, is in terms of sermon titles, this is like a 10, okay? The dual nature and the dual within. Pretty good. The dual nature and the dual within. It's going to be up here on the, the, the screen. I believe this sums up the heart 
of what Paul is saying to us and the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. Follow along on the screen here as I read. Charles says this, Beloved, whenever there is a question between me and the devil as to whether I am a child of God, I've given up seeking evidence in my own favor or turning to my experience to prove that I am in a state of grace. For that cunning old lawyer knows more about my infirmities than I do and can very soon bring two to one against me. My constant way is to tell the accuser, well, if I'm not a saint, I'm a sinner. And Jesus came into the world to save us. Therefore, I will go to Christ and look to him again. The devil cannot answer that. It will be wise to always live upon Jesus. Begin again at the foot of the cross where you first began with the old cry. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. I'd like to invite Josh and the uh, team up this morning. And I'd like to um, like to conclude our time this morning with three applications, and I have uh, I've really really prayed over. Lord, what do you want us to do with this? <laughs> Where do you want us to go? How do you want this text and the truth of your word? Not just to be like, oh, yeah, that's rich, or that's good, or thanks, Paul. But like, what does the Holy Spirit want to do in us today? So there's three applications that I want to share with you. The first one, uh, same first application that Pastor Mike had last week and the first one one is this is that you must repent we must repent there's two kinds of people that i want to talk to this morning just about this first one is this if you are here this morning and you have never come to the place of giving your life to Jesus. If you have never died to the old man, died to the old way, down to say, I, I cannot do this on my own. And I, I'm hearing about this Savior, this Rescuer, this Deliverer, this Redeemer. If you've never placed your faith and your trust in Christ because you're tired, you're exhausted, you just don't know where else to go. I want you to know that you can come to him today. He loves you. He died for you. You today can place your faith and trust, but it starts with repentance. 
It starts with confessing with your mouth that you are in need of a Savior. And you can turn and place your faith and trust in Him this morning. I also want to talk to us this morning that know Jesus and whether you've been walking with Him for five months, five years, or 50 years. I believe the Holy Spirit was, was asking me or showing me that we need to deal with some of this indwelling sin that Paul is talking about in this text. Is there sin that we have allowed to creep in? Sin that we've allowed to set up camp to take residence in our hearts or in our minds and we've just we just haven't dealt with it. I want you to know this morning God's word says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this isn't just for those who have yet to come to Christ. This is for us who need to say, Lord, I, I, I confess to you that I, I need to deal with maybe unforgiveness against someone else. I'm just, I've been bitter over things at, at, at work. I've just been so impatient at home for so long, and I get angry so fast. I believe this is a time between you and the Lord where you can just say, I, I'm tired of carrying that. And I repent of that. So we must repent. Second application this morning is dying daily to self and daily identifying with Christ. And I kind of put this into the con context of a prayer or a daily di discipline. I want to encourage you if you don't you don't start out your day with Christ. I want to encourage you to do that. If you just, I'll do it later in the day or I'll find some other time. Find that place. It's so important, church. We start out every day by identifying with Christ. In our hearts and our minds, reminding ourselves of who he says that we are. And it's not just like, just say it to, your, to yourself, right? It's right here. This is, what, this is who God says that he is. This is who says that we are. Saying, God, I don't want today to be about me. I don't want my old self, my, my flesh to creep up in ugly ways. Paid for her that you died for, for that. I am in you. And so, because of that reality, because of that truth, I identify with who you are, with who you say that I am. That I'm your son, that I'm your daughter. This is a daily 
dis discipline. So sometimes it's multiple. If you're like, like me, this is multiple times a day. Lord, please forgive me again. Be reminded of who you say that, that, that I am. And here's the third one. Pursue holiness through community and accountability. What do I mean by that? In the process of sanctification, of becoming like Christ, we are pursuing holiness. We are pursuing righteousness. Well, how do we actually do that day in and day, day out? There's several ways, but the two that I just feel, again, like the Spirit is asking me to communicate to the church today through this text is through community and accountability. Why do I say that? Or why does the Spirit want, want, want to say that to us this morning? I believe that we see struggle the most in the life of a believer when somebody chooses to live in isolation. We were created to live in community. You were not created to do life alone. You as a believer were not created to pursue holiness and righteousness alone. You were created to live in community. So this is not a commercial. This is not an advertisement. I believe that this is as biblical as anything else. If you are not living life in community, I want to encourage you to do that. Find a community group. Find people that are striving for holiness, that are striving for purity, that are striving for right, right, righteousness. And I tell you, you will not regret it. Begin that path now. And accountability, this is kind of almost like, if you're thinking, thinking about like layers, this is kind of like that next step to say, it's not just good enough to gather, right? Scripture says, don't forsake the Assembly. This is why we come to worship corporately. We gather in communities as fam families to pursue holiness, but accountability. That's saying, <laughs> I need one or two people in my life that I can personally invite to say, look, this battle with the flesh, this struggle... I need a brother and a sister in Christ to hold me accountable to the life that Christ is calling me to live. So if you're here today and you're just like, I just don't have anybody like that in my life. Can I encourage you to seek someone out? It takes guts. I'm telling you right now, it takes guts to say, hold me accountable to purity. Hold me accountable to living a holy life. But I believe that's what Scripture says. And I'm telling you, isolation is a trap. The enemy loves to attack in that, that, that way. But may we strive for community and accountability. Church, will you stand with me? The worship team closes us out in a time of worship.
and response. Putting a couple of folks on on, on the spot here, but if you are uh, willing to come up and uh, to to pray, if if you have if you're here and you're just like I just I just need to pray with somebody, just need to con- con- confess sin, or I, I I just need to just let somebody know that. I need help. I need community. I need accountability. There's folks here that love you, that support you. This is why we are here. We want to pray for for you. So if you feel led to to pray, um, have a few folks uh, up here. We're going to close out our time. So God, we, we, we love you. I pray for this church that we would be people who choose to live in the light. We would seek out community. We would seek out accountability. We would live lives that desire holiness and purity and righteousness, God. We would daily identify with Christ what he has done his finished work we love you we respond to you now and it's in Jesus name we pray amen